Let me just state the principle as I teach it now, or as I presented at a workshop. 95% of Christian conversions are primarily generated through relationships that we share with the eight to 15 people sitting in the front row seats of our lives. God has given every one of us, I call Oikos the great equalizer, because everybody has one. I mean, not everybody has a ministry degree, not everybody has ministry experience, not everybody has an outgoing personality, not everybody has the gift of evangelism. But dang, Travis, everybody's got an Oikos. And I'm on the roll. It's watering time, everybody. It's time for Apollo's Watered, a podcast to saturate your faith with the things of God so that you might saturate your world with the good news of Jesus Christ. My name is Travis Michael Fleming, and I am your host. And today on our show, we're having another one of our Deep Conversations. A deep conversation with pastor and author Tom Mercer. Why is evangelism so difficult? If we can share our favorite YouTube video or tell people about our favorite show, why do we have such a hard time sharing our faith? Could it be rejection? Eh, maybe. Or maybe it's in how we've been shown how we are to go about evangelizing. We see people on the street, they're confrontational, and we just can't imagine that at all. Is there a better approach? Maybe. And that's where Tom Mercer comes in. Tom has been married to his wife, Cheryl, for over 40 years, has three married children and 11 grandchildren. He's a graduate of Biola University and Talbot Seminary and has been the senior pastor and primary teacher at the High Desert Church in Victorville, California since 1984. And during that time, HDC has grown from 125 regular participants to multiple thousands from one campus to four. He's the author of two books, 8 to 15, The World is Smaller Than You Think, and Not My Church. These books highlight the Oikos principle, which I believe is the simplest and probably most effective form of kingdom growth that Jesus gave us. Now, you don't know what Oikos is. I know many of you do, but many don't. We're going to know that in a minute. And just as an FYI, it is not the yogurt that we're talking about, all right? Oikos is the Greek word for household, and I'm going to let Tom take that from there. And the first part of our conversation is getting to know Tom a bit, his growing up, influences, and how he got to Victorville. And in the second part, we'll really delve into the Oikos principle and how God has created it to help us so that we might thrive effectively as kingdom agents. Happy listening. Tom Mercer, welcome to Apollos Watered. <laughs> Man, it's too early for that, bro. Come on. <laughs> California. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Honestly, it's a pleasure. It's an honor to talk to you. Well, it is an honor to talk to you. But before we get into that, we have our Fast Five. Are you ready? If I knew what the Fast Five actually were, I might say yes. But You're going to be fine. Go. Brother. I'm good. All right. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Yep. Sushi or tacos? Tacos. Why? I hate sushi. And you I hate love tacos. sushi. You're in California. That's like supposed to have sushi everywhere. Travis, I was at a doctor just the other day being analyzed, and they, however they picked up my my biorhythms, they told me, don't eat fish. Seriously. <laughs> okay. And I said, that's good, because I hate fish. 
Well, that's a good to talk. That's a good then uh, segue. That's you. That you don't Tacos have sushi all day. Okay, how about this then? Because you are in the high desert. We were just talking about this before the show, but really hot or really cold? Well, it's both. It's different from the low desert in the sense that in the low desert, most of the year it doesn't cool off at night. In the high desert, we're at about 4,000 feet, 3,500 to 4,200 feet, you know, a little bit of variance there, but uh, it's uh, it's hot in the day. It could be over 100 in the summer and cool down into the uh, low 70s at night. Uh, so it's a little more um, comfortable than the low desert. But people, when they hear desert in California, they think Palm Springs desert. You know, that's the money desert. This is Victorville. This is not, this is uh, uh, one of the highest concentrations of government assisted families in the state of California. So, really, and if you say that in any state, you're, it, you know, it's it's significant, but I can say that in California. So that makes it an even, uh, you know, it's, it is what it is, but it's a great place, great people, just a uh, very unique mission. I'd say so. And we'll get to that in a moment, but which do you prefer really hot in the morning, the day or really cold at night? I prefer heat. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I love, I love warm weather and, uh, not so much the cold, obviously maybe we all would, Love Florida. <laughs> you know, <laughs> a more temperate climate, but uh, if I had the choice, I'd chase. I'd chase the heat all day. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, here's the third question. Okay. If you were, if you were a store, yeah. what kind of store would you be, or what store would you be, and why? Wow, that's a good question. Um, uh, well, I, I probably would be a uh, a pretty. Hmm. I wouldn't be big box, you know, I'm more focused than that. I would need to, I would need to know what exactly I was going into the store to get, or I would want people in, you know, to your question, I would want people to know exactly what they wanted when they came mm. into, you know, Mersmart. It would not be, it would not be, Hey, come in, I can provide anything for you. And I think that has translated into, you know, pastoral ministry for me because I see a, a local church that way. I, I don't see it as a big box. I mm. see it as a very niched place where people go for a very specific reason. We're going to get to that in a minute. That's okay. going to be, that's going to be pretty cool. Cause I, I really want to unpack that. Okay. How about, how about this one? You've been in pastoral ministry. How long? Oh, um, well, 38 years in, in, in Victorville, and uh, before that, I was in uh, a student ministry for about seven, so 45. 45 years. So yeah. here we go. All the people that you've met, your funniest pastoral experience. Funniest. <laughs> well, Mo, I, I, yeah, I, I can't say that. <laughs> funny and was the funniest one you can share on the air. How about oh, that? Oh, man, that's a, that's a good question. I don't think I've ever been asked that question. Yeah, well, get, go to go to the next one. Give me some. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. You kind of think about that one. Let your yeah. wheels turn on that. We'll probably come okay. back to that one later. How about this one? So you're you're in Victorville, California, but if you could travel anywhere in the world, yeah. where would you go and why? Yeah, Big Island of Hawaii. Oh, have you yeah. been there before? I, oh yeah, 
I'd go there tomorrow. I'd go there today, travel. <laughs> I, I would, I love it there. I, I, you know, we love Hawaii. Cheryl and I went there on our anniversary 41 years, oh, excuse me, on our honeymoon 41 years ago. Wow. And then raising kids and, um, and living, living the pastoral dream and the budget that we had uh, precluded us from returning for 35 years. And so we went wow. back six years ago and we've been back pretty much every year since COVID, of course, interrupted a lot of people's plans. But uh, I love going to Hawaii, uh, the Big Island specifically, Mauna Kea. You know, one of the one of the two mountain peaks on the Big Island has snow year round, but it is, it, and I'm going to talk like a pastor for a minute, <laughs> like I know what I'm talking about. It, I think, <laughs> I think it's the number one observation platform for the heavens, for the stars mm. in the world. There's something about being at, you know, at that elevation, at, you know, <laughs> uh, way up there in the middle of the Pacific Ocean with no ambient light, and uh, it is just glorious. I love it. The first time I was there and looked up, I just started to weep because, I, you know, just the heavens declare the glory, of God. the glory of God. And so it's pretty sweet. And, of course, I love the beach, too. That's one of the nice things about being in Victorville. I've always said, Travis, that when you live in Victorville, the upside is that everywhere you go is a vacation. Mm. And so uh, we, we're, we're an hour and 15 minutes away from the California beaches. Southern California beaches. So that's mm -hmm. nice. And we're less than that away from, you know, snow and ski resorts. And I mean, it really location wise, it's a pretty great place to be, but, but the actual place, the desert, we've always hated, we've always hated the desert. Well, let's, let's hear that then. Let's hear your story. How did you get to Victorville? I mean, let's, let's hear where you, where did you grow up? I mean, what's your story? How did you get into pastoral ministry? Tell us about who Tom Mercer is. Well, Tom grew up in a ministry family. My dad was a, a, a pastor uh, my, my whole life. Um, he was a pastor who uh, felt the call of God for reasons he and I discussed at depth in his later years, uh, but he felt the call to leave every four to six years and mm. and uh, start working at another place. So my sister and I were a little bit like, uh, uh, we felt like we were in a military family, mm -hmm. kind of moving from place to place. Um, uh, but it was primarily in Southern California, you know, here. Uh, met my wife here um, at a church my dad was leading when I was in college. Uh, yeah, we married and, and, uh, I felt the call to ministry initially, um, as a, as a, a college student at Biola University. And then there were some things that went a little sideways in a ministry my dad was leading that, uh, caused me to question whether or not I wanted to be in pastoral ministry. I, I didn't give up on the church, but I, 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 I met a guy I'm, I'm, forgive me if I'm sound like I'm rambling. I met a guy when I was in high school and I was really trying to figure out if I should go into pastoral uh, ministry vocationally. And he said, Tom, if you can be happy doing anything else, then don't be a pastor. Mm. And so I took that to heart. And even though I felt the Lord calling me to ministry during that season, when I was so bothered by what a particular local church did, 
I gave up on on that quest to become a pastor. I was in my third semester at Talbot Seminary, Bible's Graduate School. And I left uh, 16 graduate units on the table during finals week. I just walked away. I was so upset, Travis. I, mm. I, I was, uh, I, I essentially told the Lord, Lord, if, uh, if this is what the local church is, I, I don't think I want to do it. I mean, I, I didn't stop attending. In fact, I actually didn't stop participating in, in serving, but I didn't want to be a pastor anymore. And about a, a little less than a year later, I was working in a marketing agency because I thought that's what I would like to do maybe if I wasn't a pastor. And I had some, you know, I had some uh, DNA for that. And uh, I kind of uh, acclimated to that very quickly. And the owner of the advertising agency asked me after about nine months, he said, Tom, what do you do after work? And I said, well, I go to the church where I attend and I help out with the students there. And he said, do they pay you for that? And I said, no, they don't pay me for that. And he said, well, let's, let's turn it around. Um, I may cry when I tell you the story, Travis. Okay. It's one of those moments when the Lord, you know, just kind of grabs you. And, uh, he, he said, well, um, if you worked at the church, it's kind of a funny story too. If you worked at the church uh, and they paid you, would you come to the marketing agency after hours and work for nothing? And I smiled and I said, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> and he was, and he was such a gracious man. He said, Tom, what are you doing here? And I I got a little emotional and I said, uh, that's a good question, Jim. And over the course of the next few months, I, uh, I quit <laughs> a promising career. In fact, that day it was kind of funny because that day Jim offered me at the age of 22 or 23, he offered me a six figure salary package after mentoring me for that year. He said, now we can rock and roll but I have to ask you some questions first because he yeah, a Christian guy and a, and a great mentor and friend. And so that's what kind of pushed me back into the, into the pastoral pipeline. But I did tell the Lord, Travis, I said, because what had gone sideways for my dad in that, in that role in that church, uh, I felt that my dad was a, a, a shepherd to a fault. Mm. If that's possible. Awesome. Uh, he, he, can I say, he was Christ-like to a fault. <laughs> he was so in love with people that he couldn't delegate leadership. And mm -hmm. then the church would somewhat plateau because he would take a 200 church and it would be 600 within a couple of years, but he couldn't let go. He couldn't let go of, of people to tell an associate now you take this group of people and now you become their pastor to whatever degree that would be appropriate uh, in that structure. And he, he just couldn't do it. And so then the church would plateau and then people would start to wonder why, why isn't it working anymore? And then my dad would get his feelings hurt. He was just such a great guy. I can't tell you how Pastor Frank Mercer was such a wonderful 
loving shepherd of God's flock. Mm. But it did hold him back from, I think, using the other gifts that God had given him to touch more people. And so I told the Lord in that season, I don't even know if this is making sense. I hope it is. So no, it does, it does, it does. But I told the Lord in that season, I said, Lord, if, uh, if I'm going to do this, I'm not going to care what people say in terms of being critical of me. I, I just have to pursue my call that you have given me. And if they start to criticize me, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let, I'm not going to take it personally. And I made that commitment, uh, you know, all those years ago. And I've actually lived up to that. I don't think a guy could stay in a church 38 years and be thin skinned. Mm -mm. No, yeah. I was always taught when I was an undergraduate year to have the heart of a shepherd and the height of a rhinoceros. Yeah. So yeah. I, it sounds true. So you stepped into pastoral ministry. You were in student ministry first. So when you, when you, when did you do the seminary? Was it seminary while you were a student doing the student ministry or does the student ministry after seminary? Well, this is the, this is the interesting thing about me. Uh, every pastor on our team has a graduate degree except for the senior pastor. <laughs> There's a lot of churches I know like that. I walked away. <laughs> I walked. I walked away from from seminary, and it had nothing to do with the seminary. And I was pulling A's and B's in all of my classes. I I've always been an academic uh, nerd, and so that part of of life has never been difficult for me. But I was so mad, I was so angry, and I it wasn't it wasn't my professors, it wasn't my experience at Talbot or. Biola. Biola was a wonderful place. In fact, we have two of our three kids who graduated from Biola, and I, I still champion that place and love that place. But uh, when I decided, you know, after that meeting with Jim, uh, my then former employer, I decided to go back into ministry, and uh, I, I was asked to lead a, a church a student group, small student group, Actually, it was at that church I learned the Oikos principle, hmm. but uh, I was asked to lead that. And my intent was to go back and finish seminary while I was uh, a youth pastor, a student pastor, and just do a part-time and, and kind of try to, you know, go both ways uh, with that. But, uh, man, the youth ministry after the first year and a half or so uh, started to grow, and it just it just never was even possible. I'm, I'm not going to say it was ever, it should ever be convenient, but it never, actually, Travis, was ever even possible. I have a, I, it's Mercer's, <laughs> Mercer's formula for successful pastoral leadership. Can I share that with you sure, quickly? Of course, you can edit, yes. you feel free to edit it out if you want to, but you got to have a 10 factor in order to be a successful pastor. And again, success is a hard thing to define, but number one, you have to have a spiritual gift factor. You have to have a, an academic preparation factor and you have to have an experience factor. And so if your factors of those three, and this is not anything you can really quantify, it's just for the sake of thinking it through. If you have a, a total of 10, you're gonna be okay. And some, guys have a, I mean, their gift is like a nine. That, they don't need much preparation, actually. 
I mean, it might be good for them, but they don't need it and they don't need experience. They just stand up on a stage or stand in front of a group of people and people are salivating to do what they tell them. I mean, that's a leadership gift or a teaching gift that's off the charts. Very few guys have that. Some people have, you know, they've got this amazing experience and this wealth of wisdom and their gift is a little lower. And, you know, maybe their, their, um, their preparation was, was not that impressive. And then some people have four or five doctorates. And so, you know, they, they've got street cred and people want to listen to them. I want to follow them. But if you can wrap those three things up to a factor of 10, whatever that means, however that looks, then, then you're going to be okay. So I look, I've always looked at my experience growing up in Pastor Frank's family. And I don't want to diminish the role my mother played as well. They're both with the Lord now. But they were wonderful parents and wonderful church leaders. Honestly, Travis, I would sit in some classes in seminary, and I say this in all humility, but I'd sit there and think to myself, these people have to be taught this? Because I just learned it, mm-hmm. not even wanting to. I just learned it. I grew up in such a wonderful ministry laboratory. So my experience factor was pretty high when I when I when I started vocational ministry and became a, a professional pastor. My ministry experience factor was pretty high, and, and a graduate, you know, even even getting two thirds of the way through a MDiv at Talbot's pretty. That's 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 pretty good. Yeah. And, and having a, a undergrad degree from Biola, now Biola University, then it was Biola College, but, and the wonderful people that spoke into my life. And then I, I, the Lord has given me a gift that's probably a little higher than average. I, I don't, I don't ever consider myself a, you know, an A-lister. I'm, I'm kind of a B-minus lister if you want to look at <laughs> the lens of acting. But you know, B-minus is still better than a better than average. And so you have that all up and, and we've had a pretty good run here. So when I, after about seven years in student ministry and there was a movement underfoot uh, a little bit to, to kind of pull a coup, I had become a little more popular maybe in terms of my my leadership and teaching skills than, than the senior pastor. And there were some who wanted to see if there was a way I could move into that role. And I didn't like that because I love my senior pastor. He had been very, very encouraging to me. He was great as a, as a friend. And so I told him I, I just wanted to move on and I left there and <laughs> Victorville was, you know, uh, I, I didn't have a lot of options. Be honest with you. When they when they picked me here, they said you got to have ten years senior pastor experience. You got to have a graduate degree, MDiv or equivalent, and you got to have uh, you got to be a part of this denomination or family. I was old for three. <laughs> These guys talked to me honestly. They talked to me and they said, "Yeah, we can we can hire you." And I said, "That's fine. You know, if you can, you know, that's that's fine. I'll, the Lord has a plan." But I didn't know what it was. And then they came back a few months later and they 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 said, ah, after looking at, you know, the playing field, we, we'd like to talk to you again. So that's how I got here. Church is about 100 in size. They were great. People here were great. And they just wanted somebody to say, what do we do? And I I never had to fight. I, I'm a wuss, man. I, I You know, I talk to pastors all the time now, Travis, at these 
events that, you know, we're a part of or we lead. And man, the war stories, these poor people tell me mm. about, you know, all of the battles they had to fight to, to you know, become the leader of the church. And they these folks just said from the get-go, just tell us what to do and we'll try it. So I've, I've been very blessed. So describe the church, High Desert Church. I know, according to your bio, that it started off with about 125 people, yeah. and you have praised them. You have indicated how much they have tried to live out this Christian life, which is amazing Yeah, uh, that you have that type of affinity, and you can see that, hear that. You've inherited that, I think, a little bit from your father, that pastoral love. But yeah. what the church grew rather, I mean, steadily over time. The church is about what right now? Well, right now, <laughs> pre-pandemic, pre-pandemic, yeah, we had about well, attendance is around was around six thousand, and okay. and now and now attendance is more in the uh, thirty five hundred. Uh, it's a little little more than half. Uh, you know, I think at least I I don't spend a lot of time comparing. Uh, our, I've never mean? I've never worried too much about. Uh, comparing um, our numbers to to anything, even to what it was last weekend or what it was last year. I just feel privileged that anybody would show up on a weekend and want to hear what we say or or participate in in what we're trying to do. So, uh, but but yeah, it's uh, when you when you look at what other churches have experienced post COVID. Not that we're truly post COVID. Um, maybe you guys can. Can, can do that more in Florida than we can in, in California <laughs> post-COVID. But uh, yeah, we're, we're probably right in there with, with what churches are experiencing in, in terms of in-person participation based on what their, their church family looked like a couple of years ago. So t- tell me though more about the people of yeah. High Desert Church. I want to hear about the people because to, to, I hear you say, Victorville is in the high desert, and it is over a hundred. I mean, first of all, I hear desert, and that automatically sends thoughts through my mind. Sure, but I also think of John the Baptist. He's out in the wilderness yeah. preaching, and that's kind of you. Yeah, I feel I, like that guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't see where you know having a sushi and, and wild honey, <laughs> sushi and wild locust. <laughs> locust and wild honey are kind of in the same category for me. But no, I, I don't. I've never felt like John the Baptist. I mean, maybe, maybe um, because I've been where where John ministered, and uh, it's it's much nicer. <laughs> it's, much, it's much nicer. Than, and you know what, Travis? I have to tell you, when when we set out, to, when we came to Victorville, we knew what we were getting into. And I okay. and I will and I will say, I'm an introvert. I I told you that in mm-hmm. pre-show. Pre-show. I'm an introvert. I've never felt worthy of my calling. I, I walk out on the stage every week nervous um, and wondering how it's going to go. <laughs> I have confidence in Christ, brother, but not in Tom. But when I came here, I really felt like going to an outpost in the middle of the desert is probably what I deserve based on the fact I didn't finish seminary. I didn't have any experience. I was an outsider. So coming here, I was just honored to be here. And I remember showing up on this campus where we have four sites now. 
and I'm sitting in an office in our original site and the road, I'm looking out the window, man, the road dead ended here. Mm. I mean, you either turned right and went to junior high or you turned left and went to church, but you weren't going anywhere else. And it was a community that was not very attractive, especially if you didn't like the desert. But the people were great. The people mm. were, were blue collar. Um, <laughs> you know, carry a gun in your boot. Uh, they were, this is where Roy Rogers and Dale Evans, I mean, I know many of your viewers are gonna have to Google those names, but for <laughs> me, at my age now, I mean, I grew up watching those Westerns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this was, they were the matriarch and patriarch of this community. There was a lot of movie set work out here. I mean, it was the wilderness. But I had a place that was going to pay me to, to, mm. to teach the Bible and, and kind of grow them up. And, and so I was, I was honored. We came with one little girl, Cheryl and I had one little girl. Now she's married to one of our pastors, Danette, and has four beautiful grand of our 11 grandchildren. Four of them are being raised by Danette and Brian, and the Lord gave us two more kids. We've had a great time. Our family has grown. Uh, you know, two of our kids work here. One is in the business world in Phoenix. We're as proud of each of them as the others. They're walking with the Lord. All 11 grandkids are a delight to us. I could not have asked for a better script, but I hate the desert. We're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. The most important Bible translation is the one you read. At Apollos Watered, we use several different translations when we're studying, preaching, or teaching. But again and again, we keep coming back to the New Living Translation, the NLT. That's why we are excited to partner with them. We are united in the belief that understanding the Bible changes everything. Because if you can't understand it, then you won't read it. We want you to know the God of the Bible, to water your faith so that you will water your world. That's why we recommend getting an NLT. It's the Bible in the language we speak. It's not foreign or complicated, but up close and personal. To save some money, go to Tyndale.com. Use the promo code NLTBibles. It will give you 15% off. There's an NLT for everyone, from kids to adults, devotional Bibles, study Bibles, and so much more. Get one today because understanding the Bible changes everything, and the NLT is the Bible you can understand. I want to hear about the Oikos Principle and how you came to create it for the church. Okay, well, um, first of all, I learned the Oikos Principle in my student ministry days, pre-High Desert Church. I went, to a, I went to an event with my senior pastor again. I can't say enough good things about Morris. Mm. Morris Yoakum was a delightful man, and he wasn't a great teacher of the Bible, which is why, you know, some of the criticism he received uh, was what it was. But he was a great guy. We go to this conference. It's a one-day conference. Dr. Winarn mm. uh, from Fuller, the Church Growth, Institute mm -hmm. of Church Growth, Fuller Seminary. And he presents on the Oikos Principle for about an hour. Travis, I was so knocked over by that thing. And I'm, I, I was, again, maybe I have anger issues. I, I was mad. 
I thought to myself, how is it that I work, you know, I'm in this ministry family my whole life. I go to Biola, I go to Talbot. I work through this whole vocational quandary of being called and then recalled to ministry. I've been recalled to ministry. That's funny. I just, I just said that for the first time. And, and I've never heard this principle before. I mean, there was something about it that was rather intuitive, mm -hmm. but I'd never heard it presented that concisely, that simply, that that perfectly. And I championed Dr. Winarn. That man was a saint to me. Mm -hmm. He taught me uh, this principle. The problem, I think, that churches who heard from Dr. Arn about the principle is that maybe, number one, they weren't that geeked up on it. And maybe the Lord gave me a mantle to carry, even that day. And I didn't recognize it. I don't know. Now, all my friends call me Oik Boy. So Oikos and Paul Mercer are kind of synonymous. And it's interesting that you even said a minute ago, you know, Tom, how did you invent this or come up with this? Jesus came up with this. Hmm. This is what Jesus gave the church. And that day, it was like the Lord said, yeah, you, you, really, need, I, you really need to try this because most people dismiss it. And that's why the church is 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 losing. Mm. And so I, on the way home, I told Morris, I said, well, pastor, I didn't call him Morris because I, you know, out of respect, mm -hmm. I said, pastor, what do you think about what we heard today? And he said, well, we already have, you know, Jim Kennedy's evangelism explosion, evangelism program at the church. I don't want to start a new one. And I thought to myself, man, I didn't hear about an evangelism program. I heard about a a new set of lenses through which we looked at the whole world. Mm. And so I got excited and I said, would you allow me to integrate this idea into the student program? And he said, oh yeah, you can, none of the students go to the evangelism explosion. Meeting. <laughs> so he said, knock yourself out. So uh, let me just state the principle as I teach it now, or as I presented at a workshop, 95% of Christian conversions are primarily generated through relationships that we share with the eight to 15 people sitting in the front row seats of our lives. Mm. I know that's a mouthful, so let me break it down. God has given every one of us, I call Oikos the great equalizer mm -hmm. because everybody has one. Mm. I mean, not everybody has a ministry degree. Not everybody has ministry experience. Not everybody has an outgoing personality. Not everybody has the gift of evangelism. But dang, Travis, everybody's got an oikos. Eight to 15 <laughs> people. God is supernaturally and strategically placed on the front row seats of our lives. See, like picture your life taking place in a theater, okay? And you're on the stage and you're living your life. And we interact with like thousands of people. So it's a big auditorium. But most of the people are sitting way out there. I mean, we have people in the balcony. We got people maybe a little closer. You know, we see them a little more often. So they, they'd be in the loge section, maybe the mezzanine. Then there are those people that we see, I don't know, maybe once in a great while. They're in the orchestra pit. But then there are those people that are in the front row. And I was just at an event the other day. We went down to Anaheim, Cheryl and I, and a couple of our kids and their spouses to see Nate Bragazzi. Do you know the comedian? Nate? Yeah, the comedian, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a great show, clean show. 
great, great show. I was in this big room. I wish I could have been in the front row. I just couldn't afford those seats, right? <laughs> I mean, so I was happy for the big screen. Anyway, that aside, everybody is living their life on stage. They're, we're not comedians. We're Christians. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody, to some degree, in that room, everybody can see how we live. Everybody can hear what we say. But the people who can see us most clearly and hear us most clearly are the people whom God has given front row tickets. Now, that's your oikos. That's my oikos. And mine's different than yours, and everybody's got one. Now, this is the cool thing. 95% of people who give their heart to Christ, ask them, why'd you give your heart to Christ? Don't ask them this, though. Don't ask them, where were you when you gave your heart to the Lord? Because many of them will say, I was sitting at church. And that's the wrong question, because the answer to that question has skewed so much research that now pastors think it's all it's all about the pastors. Mm-hmm. We have to become better evangelists, because everybody's coming to faith sitting in our rooms. Not everybody, mm-hmm. by the way, but a, a high percentage. So we don't ask that question. When I'm in front of a group of people, and for example, a couple of weekends ago, we're in Indianapolis, and I'm at a church, a great church. And then last weekend, I'm at a church in Fullerton, just talking to their leaders, about 200 of their leaders. And I asked them the same question. And it's a question I have asked audiences all over the world now. What would you consider to be the number one factor that God used to bring you into his kingdom? And I obviously have to preface it by explaining what the oikos looks like. The people that you are related to, maybe live with, your parents, your siblings, people you're close friends with, people you're going to school with, your classmates, your coworkers, maybe in the next cubicle. So you're interacting with them on a regular basis. Okay, those are your eight to 15 people. And I say, how many of you would say, Tom, the number one reason I'm here, I think, just in hindsight, just kind of analyzing on, on, in, a, in, 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 in a very informal way, analyzing why I'm a believer. The number one reason I'm a believer is because of the influence someone in my oikos had in my life, the way they demonstrated faith to me or the way they discussed faith with me. And I say, raise your hand if you would say that that number one factor is someone in your oikos. And Travis, everybody in the room raises their hand. And I have presented that question. You know, people ask me, what's your research? 95 is a pretty high number. Actually, 95% is a shutdown metric in statistics. It's essentially 100%. Mm-hmm. There's no conversation after 95. I mean, you know, not, if a candidate has a 95% approval rating, who's going to run against him, Travis? Right. If, if he has a 95% disapproval rating, which, you know, <laughs> we might be sued. <laughs> <laughs> you know that, then, yeah. you know, everybody's going to be lining up to run against him. But 95 is so high statistically. I actually believe it's higher than 95 with the Oikos principle. But people already think I'm crazy, so I stick with 95 just, <laughs> so, just so they'll keep listening to me. But I've asked that question in different to different audiences, churches, denominational, you know, regional meetings, uh, national meetings, groups. I think 
virtually every evangelical group there in existence in some iteration of that organization i've asked significant numbers of their people that question different churches different denominations you know different ethnic groups different cultural groups different continents different countries different states different regions different fat churches skinny churches rich churches poor churches different 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 not one group has ever given me a different answer to that question when i realized the power of the oikos principle it changed everything in my life it changed the way i scheduled it changed the way i saw the people around me man i started getting paranoid i started thinking <laughs> i started thinking that god this is a setup right these people are sitting in the front row because you gave them tickets right so that they could enjoy me <laughs> that's funny too they could enjoy <laughs> me more than the people sitting in the back of the theater they'd have a better experience with christianity so now oh man i'm all about it and so i i i i got a hold of that idea our youth group i'll just be honest with you we had a half a dozen kids in our youth group regular participants after i learned that principle from dr arn i put a whiteboard up in front of the room well this is 50 years ago yeah yeah chalkboard up in front of the room and i said i'm thinking too uh currently uh and i said i wrote the names of the kids in that youth group and i said okay give me the names of three uh of your friends who don't know christ at at, at your campus and they gave me the names i said okay we're going to start we're going to list them we're going to pray for them we're going to start investing in them and then start inviting them to youth group i would say in 4 years time that group of 6 grew to 300 senior high students mm. and travis it was so it was it was amazing to me when i came to hdc i kind of took a step back and i said okay now i'm a senior pastor now i have to be more sophisticated <laughs> I have to be a little more careful, you know, with what I do. It took me a few years to ramp up to the point where I just said, "Okay, I'm going to give it to you straight. This Oikos principle is the bread and butter of the kingdom of God and has been for 2000 years. It's integrated throughout the New Testament. It's it's prevalent in the Old Testament, but Oikos being a Greek word it new testament word you know just drawing those connections is much easier but i said we're going to start being very intentional about this and during it was about 5 years in so this had been about 1989 for the next i would say 5 to 7 years we experienced the greatest growth curve i mean if you saw our growth you would see a huge bump right then mm-hmm. and uh, and i think because it's all about the numbers i'm a data guy If I was, you know, if I would not have been called to ministry, I would have probably gone into marketing because I wouldn't have been smart enough to be an astrophysicist. Mm-hmm. But I love, that's why I love the Big Island. Mm-hmm. Because I love the heavens. I I think that's the great field of apologetics in the future. That when the psalmist said the heavens declare the glory of God, 
that the more close, the closer, is that a better word? The closer <laughs> we get to the heavens, the more we're going to understand God. I believe the God who built the cosmos wrote the Bible. I'm a full-on science guy because I want to know God better, so I study science. I want to know God better, so I study creation. Mm. And I also study the Bible, and I fully expect there would be zero discrepancy between the two. These two marvelous renderings of who God is. The Oikos principle is simple. We live our life before 10 to 15 or 25 people. These are the people that have the front row of our lives. Uh, for me, I think that this idea removes some of the fear. For those of us who have the idea of tracks, passing out tracks on the street corner or knocking on someone's door, it's not easy. It's just very, very difficult to conceptualize it because oftentimes that's what our conceptualization is. We feel more like used car salesmen trying to get someone to take a pitch or hear our pitch and, and hoping that it'll make a connection. And instead, it's a sustained presence. And not just presence, but also a presentation because it's both. It's the life lived as well as the verbal telling of someone. And oftentimes we fluctuate between the two depending on what we have seen go wrong. So if we've seen someone present it negatively all the time verbally, then we're going to talk about our lives. If we've seen just someone do it by their lives, then we're going to talk about it verbally. Here's the deal. It's both. It's never been one or the other. And there's an element of both, and we're all going to lean one way or the other. But what I like about this approach is that it helps me to see the people that God has already placed there and to look for other people to help bring in. Because we are to make disciples of all nations, and I know that some people will undoubtedly say, Jesus didn't just call us to share with our families or our oikos. Well, he did. He's calling us to, to live this out with the people that are closest to us. And yes, we are to go to the nations. That's not what Tom is saying. He's not saying we don't go to the nations. He's simply saying that think about the people in the front row of our life first, those who see us close up day after day. And I, I also like to think who in my Oikos is actually from a different nation? Or do we really approach this idea of building relationships with other people so that they might become part of Ioikos? Does that even exist, or is that even a thought in our minds? Uh, let me ask you this. Does this concept of Oikos free you, or does it scare you? Well, that's a question for next week. And before we leave today, we want to let you know about our Ready to Fly campaign. And remember, we are looking for 80 new watering partners to join us in that journey. And we do have an incentive. You get an Apollos watered drop logo t-shirt if you sign up before the end of the year. And once you do that, someone from our team will give you a call or find out, contact you to get your contact information. And for those of who have already partnered with us, thank you. We couldn't do this without you. And if you're a person who has listened to the show and has really enjoyed these episodes, then would you consider partnering with us? Because we would love to have more people grow from connecting with Apollo's Watered. If you've been impacted when while listening to a podcast, would you screenshot the podcast, text it to a friend, share it on stories, or simply share it directly from your podcast platform? Subscribing and leaving a review also puts it out there to more people. 
And remember, there's also content on Instagram, Facebook, and our website that is shareable. Together, let's leave a trickle of truth and encouragement around the world and then watch people grow. And before we leave today, much thanks to our Apollos Water team of Kevin, Melissa, Donovan, Eliana, Rebecca, and Audrey. Water your faith, water your world. This is Travis Michael Fleming signing off from Apollos Watered. Stay watered, everybody. Thank you.